see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit, spit podcast. It's Tuesday, December 18th. The waves are pumping here in Southern California. And David Lee Scales and Scott Bass with you to talk all things Billabong Pipeline Masters in memory of Andy Irons, which finished yesterday. Good morning, David. Morning, Scott. Why aren't you at... There you go. Morning, Scott. Yeah. Why aren't you at the beach? I have already surfed. I was out at the crack. Oh, dark, my gosh, dude. Paddling out, and then um, I'm pre- preparing for my afternoon session at low tide. Well, thanks for squeezing this in. Well, no, thank you. Um, how was it this morning? It was big. It's been big. It's like six to eight feet, maybe just a bit smaller than last evening. And, um, yeah, super good, clean northwest swell, bombing sets. Pretty good. Good. Yeah. Good, good. And clean conditions, too. Super clean. Super, super good surf, for sure. Southern California, sort of like opening opening day was kind of like yesterday, you know? What'd you ride? Yesterday, I rode an eight, eight-foot Andrini single fin, a Serena model, which was really good. And then this morning, I rode a Steve Coletta sort of a round board egg, kind of a pocket speed egg thing that Steve Coletta made me. Hmm. Yeah, 7.4. Mixing it up. Yeah, mixing it up. I was worried about maybe not being able to paddle out this morning. You know, it might have been too big, so I brought a board I could duck dive. Gotcha. But it wasn't a problem. Good. Can you say where you surfed? Southern California. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's been good there. Nice. Yeah, it's got a nice parking lot. <laughs> um, so yesterday, did you have any conflict wanting to watch the Pipe Masters live versus opening day, swell season? No. I had no con. I mean, it was a little bit of a bummer, but surfing comes first for me. And um, I had no, you know, watching the event was, was I, w- I wasn't even thinking about it. But when I got out, I ran into Daniel Thompson and we started driving. I went, oh, yeah, that's on right now. And so I raced home and I caught um, the Julian quarterfinal or no, I saw Jordy and Gabe semifinal number one, I guess. Spectacular heat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good heat. Yeah. And we might as well start there because I felt like Jordy was underscored and I felt like Gabe was overscored. Well, everything hinges on this one heat. Right. And realistically, everything hinges on one score. Exactly. Like Gabriel's backside barrel. Yes. Essentially. The, and I think it was overscored. Ross Williams was kind of sort of focused on the technicality that was involved. And for sure, it was a deep barrel. I don't know if... I mean, and, and yes, you have to be technically proficient to to surf that that wave backside. And, you know, Gabe sort of threw his knee out there. And, and my he was kind of just... Um, toying with it more oh, than yeah. more than it than it being technical technically critical it was more like he was very comfortable and just kind of like almost um being dramatic and yeah. and the wave was smaller than jordy's jordy's yep. wave was bigger arguably longer maybe not longer the two but it was just a bigger meaner wave with more consequence in my mind a surfer who rides a bigger wave should get a better score i mean that's sort of like 
I don't know, it's like an under unwritten rule or an un, unwritten theme in surfing is the guy that catches the biggest wave sort of gets the biggest high fives. Certainly the most critical wave. Yeah. Um, you said, I mean, there's one distinction you made. You said Ross was calling it technical. And then you just said, um, I forget exactly what you said. You said technically something. I think Ross was correct. It was more technical. It just wasn't more critical. You know, like the amount of negotiating that he did through that was unbelievable. Like only Gabe can do that. I've never seen anybody no. really do that at backdoor. I don't believe that. Every season, it, no. Every season at the Pipe Masters, there's guys name that someone. Get, there's guys that get sick. How about Mick Fanning, Joel Parkinson? No, no, no. Corey name Lopez. somebody. Name a goofy footer who surfs backdoor as August. technically as. Hobgoods don't. Hobgoods technically proficient. Yeah, like with the navigating and the negotiating and that shift of weight onto that front knee and then driving when he needs to drive over foam balls. I've never seen it happen. I mean, it's next level, but it's not as critical as the wave that Jordy got. So it's the same old thing where it's like, okay, yes, these Brazilians can find a small wave and do a massive air, and or Kelly can manufacture an eight-point ride out of what would previously have only been a five-point potential wave for anybody else. That's what Gabe's now doing, but in critical conditions, not just on airs on small waves. However, what we need to discuss is... Corey Lopez used to do that. Yeah, I agree. And um, I'm just riffing my head right now trying to think. Of Corey's the best I, call. I don't think that what we saw was like, oh, my God, that's never been done before. I don't believe that to be the case. The 10 he got against Connor Coffin. Let's just focus on okay. the heat, the, the important heat. Jordy, so here's why final that, number one. Here's why that's important. That score, man, that dictated a world title. Like if... Jordy had won the heat, which you can go back and look at it, and you could definitely argue that Jordy should have won the heat. Gabe's out of the contest. Julian, on the other side, still made the final. He would have ended up in the final against potentially Jordy, and who knows what would have happened, but the entire world title was up for grabs based on that one score. Right. And Gabriel, by the way, got a 9-10, 9.1. Jordy on his crazy barrel, I think it was a 7.33, or maybe it was the 8.5. If it's a 7.33, there's no chance. There's a two-point difference no, between those two waves. The 8.5? Jordy's yeah, right was the 8.5? I think so. Okay. I, I'm not positive, but I, I want to think. On the notes, it says, uh, or on the heat analyzer, it says wave number two was the five was the 8.5, and I thought wave number two was the left. I'll look oh. it up as we're talking. But um, my point is, even if those waves, even if Gabe got a better score, it's not a two-point better ride. No. You know what I mean? Like the, the difference between those two is arguable. You could argue either side, but it's not a two-point difference ride. No. Like the judges definitely botched that if for no other reason than just the difference between the two rides. I absolutely agree. I think, and, and by the way, my phone was lighting up with... Oh, yeah. And, and you know, understand that a lot of my friends were biased towards wanting Julian to win. In fact, all of them. But it did seem as if... And I sent you a text, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was overscored. Yeah. Well, you're right. Jordy's right was the 8-5. So we're going 8-5 versus Gabe's 9-1. And Jordy got a bigger wave. By the way, Jordy's... Who's to say what Jordy did wasn't as technical? Just because he wasn't crunched down low on a small wave doesn't make it more technical. Well, I could argue it's harder to surf a big bomb... Yeah. It takes more technical 
savvy to pull off a big backdoor barrel than a small backdoor barrel. And, and, and if we go, let's just say, okay, Scott, you're wrong. It takes more technical ability to surf a smaller wave. Well, then let's just surf three foot waves and see who can get as crunched, scrunched up in a little ball as possible. Like that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the argument is that Jordy got a good wave that requires a critical takeoff and then you stand there and get blown out. Whereas Gabe had to stall and then go fast and then navigate and all those things. Like, again, big waves, beat small waves, bottom line. I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't kind of agree. Why, I fully agree. Why are we doing this? If it's, yeah. you know, like. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Not only is the world title on the line, millions of dollars are at stake. I mean, these guys have contracts that pay bonuses based on these things. So it's Jordy making the final versus not matters. Julian winning a world title versus not matters. So that's a tremendous amount of weight on the judges to get these things right, but it's all that matters, you know? I, I'm kind of disappointed that there's not, I haven't seen a whole big outcry about that heat and about the score. We got it on social media this morning. I got tagged, somebody said, if we don't met, spend an entire hour ranting about it, they'll be severely disappointed in us. <laughs> and somebody replied and said, uh, yes, indeed, please do a viewing breakdown in the podcast of what you are seeing score-wise for Gabe versus Connor, firstly, and then um, Gabe versus Jordy, and then Gabe versus Julian. And you're telling me that you are seeing, um, basically saying it's heavily biased for Gabe. Is what he, what he says in short. There's no so that doubt. throughout the entire contest, it felt like it came down to these critical matchups, and the judges were essentially gift wrapping it for Gabe. I think that's a bit of an extreme take. I I would argue if you go back and look at the contest, Gabe is the best surfer of the contest. You can pick apart individual heats, like the Jordy one. I think is the most egregious, where Jordy's right should have been scored higher than Gabe's right, but. In the end, we want a global view of who did the best surfing throughout the year, who did the best surfing throughout this event. And I would personally argue that in that viewing, the judges got it right. Gabriel was unstoppable through this event. You disagree? Well, I don't. you can't look at it through that prism of who but if was you the do. best surfer in the event. If you do. I mean, that means that you don't count how many heats were scored. You just determine who was the best surfer in the event, right? Ultimately, I mean, humans are flawed. Jo you could say Joanne DeRue. No way. Not even close. He, you, he, I'm just, my point is, is that, that that's sort of a weird way to look at it. We have to look at it through the prism of the format that's presented to us, which is this, you know, heat by heat. I agree with that. Analysis. But it's a flawed format. We've, well, every single contest, we pick apart the judge's failures so now that we know that's going to happen it's kind of like well given that that's going to happen let's at least hope that the guy who's surfing the best wins the thing and i think in this case that's what happened personally yeah you don't I, think so no no I, well look there's no denying that gabe medina is incredible his heat with seth moniz is really the one where you went okay this is destiny you know mm -hmm. um and 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 frankly, yeah, I would. I, I agree with you. The Gabe Medina th throughout the whole, you know, the the entirety of the work of the pipeline event, Gabe was in, incredible. Probably the yes, 
the yeah. best surfer. It's hard to argue that he wasn't. Right. Especially the final where he, he made every single wave he rode. Yeah. Um, but I'd rather look at this one heat that was the difference between a world title or not. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that the judges are like, oh, we got to give it to Gabe. I don't think it was a conscious thing. I think that they truly believed that the smaller wave with the more technical ride means that he that that that's deserves a bigger score. Right. And I I wonder why we're waiting for swells to show up if it's a small wave contest. If it's who can be technical no matter the size of the wave, then let's just go to the wave ranch. Let's just have every event at the Kelly Slater Wave Ranch. And we'll just go for all technicalities, you know? Yeah. But every surfer I know looks for the guy who got the biggest wave, the biggest barrel, the biggest bomb in a critical. And oh, by the way, that's highly technical. Um, that's the guy that does the best, that should deserve to win. And I, I'm just kind of blown away that it's kind of a bummer. And I can see how the WSL, the judges are like, man. I mean, let's put it to you. Let me put it to you this way: If Gabe had was given an eight point five seven on that wave, would everyone throw in their arms in the air and went, "Oh my God, that's bullshit! He deserved a nine point one"? No, they probably wouldn't. Wow. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I can swallow that. Yeah, you know, but that wave being better than Jordy's wave, no way. I completely agree. I don't think that wave will even show up in highlight reels. And yet it's the second highest scoring wave of the event, potentially. Maybe the third highest scoring wave of the event. It's not that exciting to watch in hindsight. It's very exciting to see him make it in the moment. Because you're like, oh, crap. I didn't think that he was going to slow down and then go fast and then go over that section and whatever. But in hindsight, it's not a spectacular wave to witness. Jordy's. On the other hand, him getting blown out. I don't know if you remember, but he almost like falls forward because yes. he's blown out so right. hard by the spit. Yeah. That is spectacular viewing in yeah. hindsight and in real time. You and know? he was behind the spit. Like yeah. he came out after the spit. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that says something. Um, I mean. But look, it makes for great you know, discussion. Well, hey, it's the best day of competition I've seen in potentially <laughs> – a long time. You say this after every event. They keep one-upping it, dude. <laughs> We've been saying this forever. They keep doing better every time. I said it two days ago, by the way. The day before last, I was like, that was spectacular. Where Pipeline was a little more unruly. It was bigger and a little more unruly. Yeah. I was like, that was spectacular viewing. And then yesterday, beat that. Yesterday was so good. I think the best... One of the best that I can recall, one of the best days for Pipe was 2000, the year that Rob Machado won. And it was flawless. And it was like sheet glass and emeraldy blue and green. And it was much bigger. And, um, and it was the West Swell, lefts, you know, like proper Pipe. And that day was mind-blowing. I mean, and the finals were, you know, six to eight with 10-foot sets. And it was just so flawless, yeah. you know. And it was Mick Lowe. And Rob Machado in the finals. That, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, epic an, an epic event, an, an epic viewing, that was incredible viewing. Yeah. yeah. Are you now a Gabriel Medina fan? No, I don't like Gabe Medina, and and, but I love him. I love Gabe Medina because what he brings is he brings. Um, he brings conflict to the equation, which is super important. And in fact, yesterday I thought he was a little too lovey-dovey. 
you know, kissing and hugging Julian and all that crap in the water. Like, and part of that's on Julian, but, and I know they're friends or whatever, but I, the best thing that could ever happen to the WSL is a big, mean, angry, black hatted guy. The guy who wears the black hat, Gabe Medina, sitting as number one in the world and frankly looking unbeatable. It's really, he's kind of in that place where he's the only one that can beat himself, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Because um, he's so savvy. He does, he's got the complete package. Yeah. And, and also, when they were talking about it yesterday, I was thinking this is a great example of why it would be cool to have a big wave stop on the world tour because you, you and I both know Gabe Medina would, would go crazy at like YMA or something. You know, like he'd be doing free fall backside drops, pulling in behind the boil. It, so I, I want to see Gabe Medina in big waves because it'll just be so cool. To, and it will help sort of cement and cap off his dominance. I mean, he, he can run. And you and I, last year, two years ago, we've been saying it's a failure if Gabe Medina doesn't have at least three world titles. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's got two now, and I could easily see five. Right. He's only, what, 25 years old, 24 yeah. years old? Yeah, I think old? they said he's turning 25. So... So, it's really up to him how much partying, how much Playboy lifestyle, how much I'm the Brazilian hero. And he's going to get a lot of that. He already has. I think that's why he didn't get it in the last two or three years. I agree. After that first world title, he got all this fame and accolade. Yeah. And he's been sussing that out. But I think he's refocused now yeah, at the ripe young of age of, of 25. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't see anybody, uh, you know, I mean, Felipe can sniff at it, but Felipe has flaws in his overall game you know there's how do you feel about i mean the one flaw that we always talk about that everybody talks about is him not going in big waves how do you feel about reassessing that situation based on not only this event i mean specifically his heat with kelly he went at backdoor yeah it wasn't like by then the swell was kind of fading off there was the one i don't know if you remember the one wave that he didn't quite make he came out and then yes like that would have been a 10 that would have been a 10 yeah. and that was a proper backdoor wave that he had to actually knife in and then like knife in not even really bottom turn just kind of knife pull up into it and then navigate and get blown out and he barely didn't make it well look at the risk of sort of rehashing what martin potter was saying i got to agree with him with pots that Felipe's just getting better at that, and, and that wave that you just described sort of showcases that. And I do think that Felipe's young, right? Like, yeah. what is he, 22? Yeah. So Felipe's just going to put in his time. He's a warrior. I could see Felipe, that whole equation, that whole discussion that you and I have about him not being well-rounded in the big gnarly stuff is probably going to go away. It's going to have to, or it will become who he is. And I don't think he wants that. I think he's pretty determined to slowly but surely get settled and get comfortable in those really heavy situations. And, you know, funny thing is, Jeremy Flores, when he was first on tour, was kind of like a wimpy 19. He was 18, I think, when he was on tour his rookie year. And you and I have discussed this before, but I remember Andy Irons kind of like calling him out at Big Chopu. Um, you know, because he didn't want to surf it, more or less. And now he's looked at as, like, the guy that charged, which he does. You know, Jeremy Flores is the guy. Like, he, I mean, he's one of the few heats that paddled out in that code red swell and right. cloud break where they only ran two heats because it was too big, and he went out there and charged it, you know. So my point is is that it can be done. Two Felipe can do it. You know, yeah. Felipe can become that guy. And then, yeah. then I guess, because really what your question is, Will Felipe then be able to challenge Gabe Medina? And he will, and I hope it happens soon, because Felipe is the white hat. He's the cowboy with the white hat on. Gabe Medina, love it or not, 
he needs to embrace, or he just kind of already is the guy with the black hat. So I'm hoping that Felipe can 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 get to that level. And then the next, the other, only other guy, but who lacks sort of competitive chops, I think, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, is Idolo. Idolo, you know, and then there's Kanoa. Like, can Kanoa... The thing about Gabe is that he's intimidating in the water. He's just a pain in the ass when you surf against him. The sense I get is that he loves to just kind of get right up in your grill, you know, mentally more than anything. You know what I mean? Like he's got that wild card of being able to psych you out, just being a pest. He's like a pest, you know? Yeah. And um, does Idolo have that? Does Kanoa have that? Kanoa does. I think Kanoa won't be phased by that at all. Idolo doesn't have it, or I haven't seen him have it. Idolo's all positive, positive vibes, and I think he's solely um, benefited from like his sheer talent at this point. You know, just like raw, reckless talent has gotten him to where he is. So he will need to assess the competitive game at some point. Certainly this next year, based on his. Um, couple of wins that he had the, in 2018. I think Felipe, though, like the the detail with Felipe, we always questioned. We never, by the way, neither you or I ever said that he's too scared to paddle out in those conditions or to go. We just said he hasn't proved it to us yet that he isn't scared. And he proved it to us, I think, this in this event that like he's willing to at least figure it out. But what I will argue is the sheer dominance that he has in places like uh, Snapper. You know, that level of confidence, you just know, you're like, he is, he knows he can do whatever he wants on that wave and nobody can touch him out there. I don't think he can grow into that in bigger waves. I think he can do what you're saying, which is gain experience, gain, um, you know, like get to where he's comfortable in those conditions. But the type of confidence that he has in small waves is just innate. It's just born into you. And it's, I think, what John John Florence has at Pipeline. And I think Gabriel Medina has. Gabriel Medina, that type of confidence, innately, he has in all conditions. And so we see that. And now, if he gets experience at Pipe or Chopu and all those things, then it translates. And it has, obviously, in the last couple of years. But I see Felipe is always in big conditions, always being, you know, a mid-pack kind of guy. Like, he won't lose in round one, but he's not going to go out there and beat guys like John, John, Kelly, Gabriel. Yeah, he's not going to put a stamp on pipe the way some of those other guys no. have. No. You said that he, uh, Felipe Toledo is has proved it to us. And I would suggest to you that he hasn't proved it, but he is proving. He's in yes. the process Agreed. of proving this to us. And then there's the other guy that we haven't talked about, and that's John John Florence. And my question to you is, will John John Florence win another world title, or is that it? Yes, he will. No hmm. question. Gabe just seems like he's just now kind of ascending to that space, that like ethereal space where, where if you draw him in a heat, you just you've kind. It's kind of like getting Mike Tyson in, in, the, in the ring. You pretty much are laying down and going, please don't hurt me too bad. I uh, think you, mentally, you forget what John John Florence does. I mean, go back and watch Space, that film from this past year. He's on a different level. I'm just talking about the competitive part of it, though. The, the part where it's like, oh, shit, I got Gabe. 
but it's not all competitive. I'm just saying the minds. I mean, when you draw Gabe in a heat, you're just like, oh, sh- you know, this guy can turn it. I I agree, but like you're under the Gabe spell right now because what we witnessed yesterday was so mind blowing. But I I I'm think not under Gabe's spell. You okay, are under Gabe's no, spell. He cast a spell over you. No, he did not. <laughs> I'm just telling you that that if if he has the right camp around him, he can't be stopped for a while. I disagree. I think I think. Uh, but if I he mean, goes on the spots, party what plan, about Bells? What about Margaret River? I'm just talking about world titles. I'm not saying he's going to win every event. Yeah. But if you don't think that Gabe can rip the shit out of Bells and rip the shit out of Margaret River, not you're more wrong. than John John. I'm not saying more. I'm just saying no. We're talking about world. You said will John John win another world title? I'm saying absolutely he will. Gabe, I think Gabe is stoppable. I think Gabe is flappable. I think the detail that we're not discussing here is there's an art to surfing. There's a poetry to surfing that Gabe doesn't implement. Rob, our buddy at Need Essentials, sent me a text when we were watching the final, and he goes, Gabe is a cyborg. After Gabe made like a crazy left, and I I, I thought to myself, I go, that is the perfect description for Gabe. He is a cyborg. He's like RoboCop. A big left stacks up on the reef. He's 10 feet deeper than anybody who's ever taken off right there, and he just gets up, goes, bottom turns under the thing, comes flying out of a section, then stomps a huge air, and it's like, Wow, that was ridiculous, but it all—it was spectacular because I didn't see it coming. But I don't know; it lacks a certain amount of elegance to it. You watch Julian Wilson, and there's an elegance to it. There's a poetry to it, and so I think if you can find somebody who goes as deep as Gabe, who makes the sections, does the airs, but does it beautifully, that's that's the next level. You know, like Gabe has the equation, but he's not playing jazz really. I agree. I'm not a fan of his style. Don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about purely from a competitive standpoint. Just putting on the jersey and winning heats. He's he's definitely in a space all his own right now. I agree with that. And, and I if think we for the ne- and if he has the right camp around him and dedicates himself and is like literally going to be training and not going on the friggin' Neymar party bus, then he. He could be unstoppable if, if he wants it. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I hope he doesn't, you know, for the sake of the sport. Although it is good to have one guy that just dominates for a while. Yeah. I think I agree with what you're saying. But if, if this WSL ends up in a place where there isn't room for that kind of jazz thing that I'm talking about and he just wins world titles based on that, it'll be a more homogenized experience. You know what I mean? Like... Well, what you're asking for is style. Yeah, I agree. flair, some spark. And how do we put that into the judging criteria? And right now they use this term. Um, Speed, yeah, power, and flow. Yeah, how, do they tra- how you transition between your turns is where the style sort of comes in. You know, like what's going on with your hands when you're doing a bottom turn. or You know, and um, I agree. I mean, actually, Cyborg's a RoboCop is a great great way to put it he's he he kind of just stamps himself he just kind of goes out there and it's almost like there's an algorithm in his brain and he just goes out and does it and there's no passion behind it um or creativity or as you say like jazz or dance or whatever which is unfortunate or the passion is strictly for getting the 10 point ride the passion isn't necessarily for for the passion's sake it's not for the dance it's for the end result yeah 
Yeah. Gabe is lame. We want to see Gabe lose. <laughs> I disagree. Gabe wears the black so, hat. Here's what's crazy. We I became want... a Gabe fan yesterday. I know you you're hate it. You're seething right now. But I honestly, it's undeniable. The guy he gets it. He I'm gets a his fan back too. Against, he gets his back against the wall. Con, the Connor Coffin Heat was the first one really where it was like Connor battled. I mean, I don't know if you saw that first paddle battle. Connor battled Gabe, won the battle, got a crazy backdoor wave, 7-5 or something, then gets another one. Gabe's against the wall. I think Gabe was even comboed at that point. And then he flips the script and combos Connor in like a very short order. And you're like, well, I really thought Gabe was going to lose that heat. Unbelievable. Then the next heat, same thing with Jordy. Then the next heat, it's just like he doesn't – it's so impressive. It's so impressive that he bends the will of the ocean to his own will. That doesn't mean you have to be a fan. But anyway, I'm actually a fan. I'm a fan only in the sense that it's good for all of us that he is in the space. You know, I don't want him to win. But he's going to raise the bar for everyone else. And they're going to nip at his heels. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And I'm not saying John, obviously John John's got way better style, way more flair and way more spark. But I don't know if John John has the competitive will. I, I think he does. Because I completely think he does. John John, when I think about John John's career, he, you know, he... It seems it seems like it's been pretty easy for him. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? Like, and anytime there was like there was only one time then there was a little bit of drama that, that comes to my mind, and that's with Zeke Lau. Yeah, and look what happened. He Zeke, fell apart. Zeke got in his head. Yeah, if that's all it takes, believe me, Gabe is a pest. He gets in your head, even though it's not going to be as confrontational or as um, abrupt or blunt as the way Zeke Lau did it. He gets in your head. Like, you don't want to draw Gabe in a heat. And it's not just because you know he can pull two tens out on any wave. It's because the guy's a pain in the ass. He's a nuisance. I think that the Zeke thing wasn't the breaking point for John to never recover from. I think it's a flashpoint for John that will make him the competitor that you're we asking for. We shall see. I hope that's Yeah, we the shall case. see. 
I hope that's the case. By the way, he's on he's on the Gold Coast right now. Yeah, I saw that on staff. Yeah. So here's an argument that I'll make for John over Gabe. When you see Gabe surf, you're impressed that, like I said, he goes deeper than you expected him to go and he gets blown out when he didn't. But it's it's really just different degrees of things that we've already seen in the past. He's applying the same old equation. When John John goes out there, he's breaking new ground. Like he's doing things that we haven't actually seen before. He's, I feel like he's improvising, whether it's mid rotation or something. Like, you know, I can think of a corked out air that he did at Bell's two years ago where it was like, he got inverted in a way that you just, it seemed improvised. It seemed improvi improvised in mid flight even, you know? The, and the way that he'll like blow out the tail, yeah. nose pick it, it's this like it's done. a different, it's a different, it's brand new ground. Gabriel, I feel like he's doing what we've all seen before, but a greater degree of it. You yeah. know, definitely like a super impressive, undeniable, the best version of it that we've ever seen. I just don't feel like it's um, innovative necessarily. It feels like Gabe spends a lot of time in like one of those trampoline places just practicing airs, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then he goes out and he, he stomps them. Right. right, but they look very technical, and they look like he's done 150 of them the day before on a trampoline, and he just, and he, you know, whereas John's are more like super zen. Like John doesn't even know if he's going to do an air when he takes off. Where yeah. Gabe's like, I'm going to be doing an air on the end section no matter what happens at the beginning of this wave. Where J John Florence is more like, let's go groove out, you know? Let's like, he's got groove some out, and then but he's so attuned that it's kind of like wherever the energy is pushing me. I'm just going to let it go there. And he's so cat-like that he's also able to then adapt to it as those things happen in very kind of minute split nanoseconds. Yeah. Um, and that makes for compelling viewing. I think that is the detail for the judges. So I don't think that we need to even implement style into the judging criteria. We're all influenced by style. I think that the judges' scores will just automatically reflect the the beauty and the glory of those things, you know? Wow. The beauty and the glory. Let it let it be projected. If they don't, if it becomes a formulaic thing, then it's gonna be, like I said, a boring, homogenized viewing experience. Right. And then um, they lose you and I. Yeah. And we're basically completely. their market research in a nutshell. That's right. Giving them, giving them all the directions for how to improve the tour every year. Um, by the way, let's talk real quickly. What does this do to Julian? Can Julian even beat Gabe? Can Julian beat John John? I mean, is Julian the best second place finisher of all time? <laughs> no, Shane Haran probably is. There's a few of those, right? I mean, it's Julian's unbelievable, but you got to ask yourself, like, can he beat Felipe in the small waves? Can he beat Gabriel in the big waves? Or is he just kind of like the second best version at every condition? Um, I don't know. I'm such a huge fan of Julian. I am I, too. I hope that he pulls it together. But the way you just phrased it kind of scares me a little bit. I do think that Julian's got a rough road ahead of him if he thinks he's going to win a world title. He's got a lot around him. Now, he had an interesting year, though. Didn't he break his shoulder at the beginning of the year or something? Or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he honestly, the night before Snapper, yeah. wasn't planning to go. And then he woke up in the morning, drove down, and ended up winning the event. 
Julian almost seems like he's a little too nice. Like, you got to have a little bit of F you. I'm going to win this heat, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying he doesn't have that. I'm just saying it seems like he doesn't have that. Like, I don't – he doesn't project that yeah. to, to the public. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have that – you know, you get Mick Fanning. He's down there. You just get the feeling he's got the bit in his teeth and he's chomping and he's kind of snarling and Joel Parkinson's snarling. And these guys are snarling, you know? Like, Andy Iron snarled, you know? Julian seems really – he's such a nice young man. That, yeah. That you're like – Maybe he doesn't have just that little kind of edge, that little bit of a thorn that you almost need psychically to, to just kind of go, Yeah, you know? And I don't know. He, I am always rooting for Julian. Julian is arguably uh, maybe my favorite surfer on tour, up there with John John and maybe Jordy. I want Julian to win a world title. I was rooting for him so hard yesterday, but I still have that criticism of him. You know, His fundamentals are so flawless. Like he surfs a wave and you go, you can't surf that wave better. He is so good. But it's there's, again, that element of jazz that we're talking about with John John. I don't know. It doesn't really seem to be there for Julian either. He's, I don't know, though. Jo- Julian, he's got a good style, though. It's the best style. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I think there was that one wave. I think it was against, it might have been against um, Gabriel. I think it was actually in the semifinal. But he got barreled on a left at pipe and then came out and instantly went yeah. into the backside air. That was against Gabe. It was against I Gabe? Think so, yeah. Okay. It was, was so sick. That was awesome. It was so sick. It was yeah. like, wow, that was a, first of all, it's kind of a gnarly section to do it on, but he also did it straight out of the barrel. And I thought, oh, he's just doing a flyaway air. Fully controlled it, landed it perfectly. It was like, Dude, that is gnarly. He's yeah. so good. But not as gnarly as Gabe. What about, you, you mentioned what does this do for Julian and his ability to win a world title. You know who got kind of like washed out of any of the conversation was Jordy Smith. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about him too. You know, a couple of years ago, they would you would have heard, oh, too bad for Jordy, but he'll come back next year for sure and be really, you know, and he's got a world title in him, you know, and you don't even hear that anymore. Yeah. Like, that's got to be deflating for Jordy to have the judges push Gabe Medina through the heat. It kind of seems like Jordy can't buy a break. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like everything kind of goes against him when he most needs it. You know, he has his moments, and he absolutely rips and blah, blah, blah. The biggest, you know, biggest power hacks, all that. But it seems like when he really needs it, things don't go his way. Yep. Uh, I think he is his own worst enemy to be honest i i don't know that he doesn't get breaks i feel like he's failed himself more often than the judges have failed him um because he'll get he'll have spectacular performances throughout the year they're just not consistent i have a question for you regarding jordy um i interviewed maurice cole yes and i'll probably publish it um this week anyway one thing that he was mentioning was when you really look at who's winning world titles, it's surfers who have worked with shapers for long periods of time. And furthermore, and I've thought about that before. We've talked about it. You know, John John and uh, John John and Pizel, obviously, uh, Kelly and Al Merrick forever, and then Gabriel and Johnny. Is it Cabianca? Cabianca, yeah. So another detail that Maurice mentioned was not only are those relationships take a really long time to fine tune 
in most of those scenarios, the shaper only has one surfer, one pro surfer that they're devoting all of their energy to. And I thought, wow, I'd never really realized that before. You could argue with DHD, he had Mick, but he also had Steph. So there's two there. But for the most part, it's like, no, it's just a one-on-one. It's all, and with Gabriel Medina, I can't think of anybody else who Johnny Cabianca shapes boards for. And by the way, these shapers do have a label that they're making a lot of other boards for the marketplace. Yeah. But I'm talking about a personal relationship with a pro surfer that you're just trying to dial boards in for. Yeah. So you could go, well, Mayhem has a bunch of pro surfers on tour. Yeah, yeah, but not a world champ. You know, like the the difference between fifth place versus first is this singular relationship that's been developed over the course of a decade. That's what Maurice was implying. And I think it's interesting. interesting. That is interesting because I'm trying to think who are some past world champions that jumped jumped ships, you know, ridden different boards. And even if you can think of one, really, we're talking multiple world champs. Right. So you look at Jordy. And you go, Jordy's never had his boards dialed. He rode Channel Islands for a long period of time. But since then, he's been on a little of this, a little of that. Obviously, Chris Gallagher is his coach, and he's getting some galleys boards. And he looks good on everything. That's not really the question. The question is the fine-tuning. You, Matt Biolis, I think, said to you on your podcast with him was like, you know, these are the Ferraris. And when you're really... When you're making a Ferrari, when you're maintenancing a Ferrari, when you're fi- it's all in the fine tuning. It's all there. So you need these really detailed conversations with these guys. It needs to be a, a partnership. It needs to be a real intimate relationship to do that fine tuning. And if you have multiple people on your team, it's going to be it might it might reflect that. You know, that's fascinating thought. I'm trying to wrap my head around. That's a cool thing. It, it makes sense, right? So you're just basically saying Jordy needs to hunker down with one guy. For a decade. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a little late. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I used to be a fan of Emrod, and I am no longer a fan of Emrod based on it the only confrontation took, with Tanner Hendricks. It only took nine months for you to fall out of love. Yeah. Well, both of us were, were smitten after Snapper. Yeah. Remember? Oh, I still am, though. Well, I want to hear why you're out of love. Because I've watched the video, you know, where they're like, they're basically like, hey, I've got the video rolling. Let's go up the stairs and see what happens. It'll make for a great clickbait, you know? Is that what you think happened? Yeah. What? Tell me what happened. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading this thing wrong, but Re- well, I, I sensed that that Tanner was pissed because of some words that went down. Like, I think there's been, you know, a sort of a feud simmering for a while between those two for whatever reason. I don't know any of that. And then I understand that, um, I guess, did Emrod? I don't know why. I, I just I just feel like it wasn't a classy move to videotape a confrontation. It appeared to me from watching the video that Emrod didn't know there was going to be a confrontation. Oh, okay, maybe. Because the other guy that was filming it it was a live Instagram stream, right? Yeah. And they're hanging out on the beach. Emrod's walking up the stairs with a bowl of acai, and Tanner smacks it out of his hand. Emrod looks sincerely confused to me. And we're only looking at Emrod from behind, but it's like Tanner's 
chest is all puffed out and he smacks the ball and Emrod seemed like Emrod never put his defenses up. Emrod was like, what, what's happening? What the heck? And then all of a sudden Tanner attacked him. And that could have all been like you're suggesting, um, just an act by Michael Rodriguez to just be victimized in that situation. Maybe he didn't want to get into an actual fight and he just thought, Hey, this is going to happen. I'll just play the victim role or something like that. Um, but I was under the impression that it was all a surprise attack for Emrod. And also I was surprised that people don't actually, like Tanner never really even threw a punch, it didn't seem. He just like tangled up with Emrod. He maybe threw a couple of punches on the ground, but he didn't like punch him in the face, you know, to knock him out. And uh, Emrod seemed defenseless, which was also kind of shocking. Emrod just kind of let it happen, didn't really defend himself. So to me, it just looked like Tanner was the instigator and that Tanner deserves all the blame. I have no idea what happened prior to the video. Um, I just assume maybe something happened in the water. What do you got? I'm trying to read through the stab stuff about it, but um, maybe we shouldn't cast any aspersions until we understand exactly what went down, but... It just, seemed to me like Tan like Michael got victimized, you know, like or maybe he instigated some maybe burned Tanner on a wave or whatever. And it was retribution from Tanner. But it looked to me like he sincerely walked up and didn't know that altercation was going to happen. Stab is basically saying that Emrod sort of likes to. Uh, he likes to cause drama. But again, mm. it's all kind of hearsay. Yeah. Well, maybe did, we should move on. How did you feel about seeing that video? I was bummed out. Just surfers are the worst. It's a classic example of how lame surfing is. I was bummed out too. I was surprised that I was bummed out. I felt, because like I see way um, more disturbing videos on Instagram daily. You know, whether it's somebody <laughs> falling off a ladder oh, or just like, or like a road rage incident. And yeah. I watch it with almost zero emotion. You know, I'll watch a road rage incident and be like, oh, that guy got his got his butt kicked oh well moving on scroll through don't even feel any emotion about it and i saw that and i cringed i was like man that's a bummer it's such a bummer and not that i even know either one of those guys at all yeah. but i feel like i know them and i and i feel like like that's not the only way to sort it out you know it's like seeing two of your buddies get in a fight almost like hey guys shake it off you know like don't it's not that it, whatever happened it's not that important I guess Emrod bumped into him, bumped his bumped shoulders with him in the parking lot. It's no, the like lamest excuse though. ever. Like, but as a continuation of the that's trying weird. to throw down vibes. That's weird. Yeah, I, I don't believe that's the starting point. Like, if he did bump him, it's because maybe Tanner burned him on a wave earlier. Like, who knows? Yeah, but that's so it's so high school. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? That's surfers of the it's worst. It's so that's, high school. That's what we are. We're high schoolers. It's the worst. And by the way, Tanner got ejected from the event he was going to surf in the trials event and he got ejected from it and fined five thousand dollars so i was just looking at the stab article about the tanner and emrod thing so what stab did is they called tanner and they got a little interview with tanner and here's what they said hey tanner we just got off the phone with a translator who helped us understand the context of the video. From what she relayed, the video crew was alluding to a potential situation with Emrod and were encouraging him to, 
quote, come with them, end quote, for the sake of views. While we can't be sure, it does sound like they may have been preemptively aware that your encounter with Emrod was about to happen. And then Tanner says, that's what I'm telling you. The whole thing with the shoulder bump and him saying, do what you're going to do happened before our encounter in the video. I was just parking my car to go surfing. I usually just walk down past the Volcom house to change and get ready. So I was walking there and as I was getting into the beach path, I ran into Michael and that's where he gave me this stupid look and a wink. And I was just like, really, man, we've still got trouble. That's when he was like, hey, we can do whatever you want to do. And he gave me the shoulder nudge. All of that was before they went down to the beach. So they went down to the, then they went down to the beach and the filmers are like, hey, let's film this. It'll be good for views. And Emrod's like, OK, well, why else would you turn on your video camera to follow a guy with a bowl of acai up the stairs? Yeah. Unless you knew something was about to go down and you wanted to get this on camera. I could see that the camera guy is to blame in that scenario. Well, there's a lot to blame. I mean, Emrod could have said, no, that's lame. Why would I want to do that? You know, but say he's like, yeah, OK, let's do this. Yeah. Follow me. Yeah. And in fact, the camera guy like gives way to Emrod. Once he sees Tanner's at the top of the stairs, he gives way to Emrod to get in front of the camera guy so he can get the good angle. Yeah, but the camera guy bailed. Well, that's because I don't think they realized. I, I think they thought it was going to be bickering back and forth. Right. But as soon as it went down, that guy got scared. Which was so funny. And ran away. I know. Yeah. He was like super I puss. couldn't believe how pussed those guys were. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, there's just more to the story. Like, I don't think that Michael Rodriguez is going around picking fights to get on camera to elevate his social profile or anything like that. You know what I mean? So I think that there was something. And I also don't believe that Tanner's version or telling right there is the beginning of the story it's not like he goes to check the waves emrod randomly walks by and shoulder bumps him and instigates a fight that he's going to later film i feel like something happened earlier that tanner didn't mention and there's been beef going on and it all happened coalesced in this one event what are you laughing at? there's some pretty good stab commentary about this is there any insightful commentary no no no, no of okay. course not nothing insightful just funny stuff about rest in peace acai bowl and stuff like that just sophomoric stuff um well among other things that transpired at this uh pipe masters kelly slater's three-point backside barrel recovery that was unfortunate. <clears throat> I mean, What's that your, should have been a 10. It should have been a 10. For sure, it should have been that a 10. That should have been a 10. Here's, here's why. The judges deemed it as, quote, incomplete. Really? He, complete, he, he completed the ride. Yeah. He completed a ride in a fashion that we've never seen before. By the way, a spectacular fashion that even if you tried to do, you couldn't recreate with a with a thousand attempts. I know. Like it was spectacular. You cannot call that wave incomplete. I agree. That would suggest that like doing an inverted cockroach on a longboard is an incomplete ride. Come on. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's <laughs> Is that your finest move? Uh, absolutely. And I can never recreate it. It was a once in a lifetime. Look, that was mind blowing. And um, I think even Kelly was kind of blown away. Of course. It. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. Um, I guess I get it. He I don't get it. Well, they're saying he fell off his board. So the second half of that ride was another ride completely. Like when 
you fall off your board, off your feet, your, your feet disengage from the deck, then you get back on the board. Now we're on, we're on to a different ride. But they I, should have had two scores then. Yeah, maybe so. May, I, I mean, that that you need room in the judging criteria. Like, I, I don't know in the judging criteria, does it say anywhere that your feet coming off your board is a different ride? I think maybe it does. Maybe it says if you get down to your belly. I mean, if that was true, then when somebody does a Superman air, that would wow. be two separate rides, That's right? right? And I mean, we've seen laybacks where people's feet come completely off the board. We see regular air rotations where their feet become completely disengaged from the board. Absolutely. So maybe it's once you end up on your stomach, which Kelly did. I don't know how it works, but... All I know is that was a 10-point ride. It was unbelievable. And the fact that Kelly... And again, remember it lowers when he did the backside air and he got a 4.17. The, the board came disengaged. Uh, Kelly's the owner of the two best rides in history that received the lowest scores. He he has some great historic rides that were just crazy. You might recall one time at the Sunset Beach World Cup, I think he was in a heat with Andy Irons. It wasn't that long ago. It, you know, 2005 or six or something. But he got an insane left-hand barrel at Sunset Beach. Oh, remember, I remember that? that? I think he got a 10. I too. do. No-handed. It was insane. Yeah. It was like inside at like, what's that little wave in there? Val's Reef or yeah. something. It was like in between Val's Reef and the, it was just mental that yeah. he got a left barrel, like no hand. It was just insane. Yeah. He has a bunch of his, you know, the the aerial he did, the 360, I think he did at Bell's. Yep. A while ago. Against and, Mick. Yeah. He's got some crazy. I mean, I guess when you surf 4,000 CT heats, you're going to have your opportunities to have crazy stuff happen. It was great to see him come back in this event and actually like perform to the level that we kind of know that he can perform to. Um, I think what's interesting about Kelly, because of his wealth of experience, especially out there, the waves that he picks are different than the waves that everybody else picks. Other guys might end up on those waves, but they're not looking for those waves specifically. Kelly doesn't go on a lot of waves that other people would go on and he specifically looks for these ones that are like guttering out the back door waves that are just completely guttered out and closeouts essentially for a lot of guys and um he's able to houdini his way through a lot of them and that's what i love about kelly you know when the waves i mean he's just he's going for gnarlier waves than everybody else is going for and making them lots of times although I feel like in this event, he didn't quite make some of the ones that he would have if he was younger and more athletic, or maybe his body well, was totally... Well, I think the waves... I mean, I don't think it was the greatest Pipe Masters because the waves weren't all that great, especially the last day. Like, if you're talking about great all-time classic Pipe Masters, we want we want it to be threatening and, and yeah. mean and better sand, you yeah. know? There was weird sand for the lefts and the rights. The direction was a little off. You weren't getting those feathering west third reef you know west peak sets coming in and so i i don't think the waves were all that they certainly weren't bad it was certainly really fun and contestable but um even as you said the day before rounds twos and three were the waves were kind of it was just funner to watch because it was a little bit more menacing yeah i think i don't want it to be perfect i want it to there to be some imperfections but I think the dramas that unfolded through these last two days made it for the best viewing experience. Um, 
Another thing that I loved in this event was having Ross Williams back in the booth. I think he and Ronnie are the dynamic duo. And they had Shane in there a lot of times with them too. But I think Ross is a fantastic addition. And those guys are like, you know, peanut butter and chocolate. When you put Ooh. when you put Pete Mel in the booth with Ronnie, there's more friction, you know? There's yeah. there's a lot of friction actually. Yeah. Yeah. Ross was uh He's always been great in the booth, right? Yeah. And it's kind of cool that he's back, I guess, for a little while. Do you think he's still coaching John John? Or is yeah, that he is. He's just obviously John John's been injured. so Yeah. Um, congrats to Joel Parkinson on retirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congrats to... Uh, Jesse Mendez? Yeah, Triple Crown. Whatever. The Brazilian Dude. storm's interesting, right? Because when a storm comes in, right, the initial rain, the initial wind, it... There's clouds. There's there's some thunder occasionally. You get a downpour. And then the storm moves out. And what happens after the storm moves out is you get a lot of backflow wind. You get a lot of strong, cold wind behind the low pressure. And that's kind of what we have now. The Brazilian storm's gone, and now we're getting the Brazilian backflow wind, which is like Jesse Mendez, Idolo, friggin' David Silva, Preston Cristiano, whoever. The, it's like... You know, it's nonstop Brazilian. It is. And when, by the way, are the Brazilian fans on the beach a little too much, or am I just do I have a stick up my butt? Both. It seems like can both things be true. Yes, they can. It seems like, like for instance, if John John wins the world title, like there's not like fifteen million. There's not like a a throng of like three hundred Hawaiians jumping up and down. Like there's a little bit more class. Well, stereotypes exist for a reason, Scott. <laughs> Right, and that they've is the, helped back it up, but and I know that, that is the stereotype. The Brazilians are passionate about their sport. And, well, not only passionate, I think it's uh, kind of like. But at some point, it's like, dude, we get it, but it's not cool to just kind of rub it in everyone else's face while you're doing it. That's well, but maybe maybe it is. I don't know. No, it's not. I mean, whose definition is of cool are we talking? Because I agree, for you and I, it's definitely not cool. It's actually distasteful. Um, but the funniest part was Rosie was interviewing Gabe post win of the event, not his title, but of the event. And there's this chant in the background and she's like, what are they chanting? And he's saying, oh, they're chanting, we're proud to be Brazilian. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's a perfect, that is exactly what they would be chanting. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's the full look at me. Yeah. I'm so insecure. I got to jump up and down in my nationalism. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to even, word it that way i mean it's hard to even say that it's insecurity for our culture to do something like that it would be the insecurity masking or the you know insecurity what, what masquerading as 300 people were jumping around saying we're proud to be brazilian how would, what, would you obviously it's nationalism on the surface but underneath that why do you need to draw attention to your country, your nation state? I mean, how about let's why aren't they jumping up and down and going our GDP sucks? You know what I mean? Like, why aren't they jumping up and down and going the poverty level is incredible in Brazil? You know what I mean? I think, like, I think they've learned they've learned that uh, they're subject to those government and market forces and they're excited and they're proud despite their economic upbringing. You know what I mean? I think they're 20 year old idiots is what I think. It could very well be. I'm just saying their social everything is so different. It's hard to it impose it our is. kind of whatever. And I apologize, Brazil. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you could be right too. I mean, it's insane to me. And it's like, 
it's embarrassing to me. Like, oh, I wouldn't even want to be. But that's could you imagine? Because like, I was jumping up and down. And just, we are proud that Trump's our president. Dude, in in the greatest moments of my life, I haven't felt the need to jump up and down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just it's not in my DNA. Right. I've constantly been ridiculed at Christmas time because I open a gift and then somebody goes, "You don't like it, do you?" And I'm like, "No, no, no. I, I love it. It's I really wanted this." You're not convincing me. You're not passionate enough. And I'm like, no, it's my favorite thing. I've been wanting this for 10 years. I finally got it. I'm excited. They're like, you hate it. Oh, here's a gift receipt. You take it back. I can't convince people of my enthusiasm is what I'm saying. Well, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I just think that the Brazilian fandom goes a little bit overboard. Absolutely, it does. Um, But honestly, I think... We can kind of argue that the judges helped decide this title. Absolutely. And There's an asterisk next to this world I, title. No, there isn't. You know why? There because is. while the judging, while the scoring was questionable at times, there's no question in my mind that Gabriel Medina was the best surfer of the Pipe Masters and the best surfer of the year, period. Wow. That's how I feel. You're probably right. But... When you get overscored on a wave to push you through to the world title, that's an asterisk. I'm sorry. I don't think it's enough to be an asterisk. I think it's worth discussing and it's worth improving upon for next year, but I I don't think it's an asterisk. By the way, Gabriel's 10-point backside barrel that he got at backdoor, I will claim right now, is the best goofy-footed wave I've ever seen surfed at backdoor. The thing was so gnarly. Scott's saying no. The one in Jordy's heat? Yes. Or in Connor Coffin's seat? I don't remember. I think the, it was... The 10? Yeah, it was the 10. That was in Connor Coffin's seat. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. It was Connor Coffin's. So he gets the left. He's paddling back out. By the way, you've surfed this swell that we have where there's tons of water moving, tons of energy. After you get a wave and you're paddling back out, after you get a proper, uh, what was, I think, a 9.43 for Gabe on the left, proper big wave, paddling back out, that wave starts stacking, and even bigger, better ones stacking up on the horizon. You could see him scraping for it. He's actually kind of too deep on the back door. He could have gone left. And he's scraping, he's paddling up the face of it, turns midway through, and then takes off. You're so, you have so little energy at that point to actually make the critical kind of part of the drop. You know, he did it flawlessly. He not only took off flawlessly, but then he surfed the wave flawlessly for a 10-point ride. The thing was spectacular. Spectacular. Best back, backside wave I've ever seen surfed at backdoor. Name a better one. I can't name one off the top of my head, but I'll I give you. I'll give you 24 hours to do the research. I guarantee you that Gabe Medina's ride was not the greatest backdoor barrel. That... Of a goofy footer. Yeah. Think about it. I am. And then review it. And then try to take off your disdain for Gabriel Medina and then review it again. Look, we should all rally around the fact that Gabe's wearing the black hat. It's a good thing. We have somebody to root against. Now, let me ask you this. The next five years, not necessarily saying who's going to be the world champion each year, but you and I could probably tell you who the next five world champions are going to be. Right? Gabe Medina is going to be one of them. John John Florence is going to be one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Kanoa Igarashi is going to be one of them in the next five years. Nope. John John Gabe Kanoa 
And maybe that's it. Nope. I, I, I'd replace Kanoa with Idolo. Okay. But Idolo does not have the competitive chops that Kanoa has. That's okay. I think he can work that out. Would you say all four of those in the next five years? One no, of them I twice? said no Kanoa. No Kanoa. No Kanoa in five years. No Kanoa. Kanoa is not winning a world champion. I, I love Kanoa. Yeah. Hey, wait, wait. None of this bullshit. I love him. No, that's... You don't think Kanoa Igarashi has a world championship in his career? Not against those guys. In five years? Not against those guys. Okay, so I'm telling you that it's going to be... Next five years are going to be John John, Kanoa, Gabe Medina, and Idolo. That's four guys in five years. That's who your world title... Your your champion's going to be. So that leaves out Felipe Toledo, Julian Wilson, Jordy Smith. Jordy's definitely out of the equation. The, the, and so is Julian. So Felipe's Felipe out. Toledo. So Felipe's out. He's going to win a world title. Felipe Not in Toledo's, five years? No, probably within five years. So you're adding Felipe to the list. I'm adding Felipe. Then that would eliminate multiple titles for any of those guys in the five years. Right. Yeah, I disagree. I think Gabe's got more than one or two, more than one net left. So let's say Gabe. I think it'll Felipe, be a Gabe. I think it'll really be a Gabe, Gabe John, John. Oh, Gabe and John, John, and Felipe. Those I, three. I think Idolo's above Felipe. To be honest, I think, really, I think Idolo has more world title potential than Felipe. Felipe's not getting a world title in the next five years. <sighs> Probably not. You know what I'm worried happens. Idolo's kind of a wild card. He can get injured. He could. He's injury, injury is his greatest threat. Exactly. Because he goes so huge. Here's my concern for... And he burns so hot, he could just burn out. It's possible. Here's my concern for... Oh, you want to talk about guys working with long-term board builders? Both those guys. Yeah, that's Felipe true. with Marcio yep. and Timmy Patterson and Idolo. With Idolo, yeah. Um, here's my concern with Felipe. If you don't come out and win a world title, kind of within the first, let's say, three to five years of your on tour, yeah, it's harder and harder to do it. Who's the only guy that's done that? Joel Parkinson. I was going to say Sonny. Yeah. And Sonny Garcia. But the reason why is you're already set in the judge's mind. Right. You're already set in the viewer's mind right. for kind of what you sh what we expect from you. Right. what your level of performance is. And it's really hard to then shift everybody's mentality. The kind of cultural zeitgeist perception, it's really hard to shift that. Did Aki 1.0 win a world title before he came back? Was Aki only world I'm title? I'm embarrassed that we don't know that I right think, off the top of our heads. I don't think heads. he did. I think it was just 2000. I think, only yeah, one. so Aki 2.0 is the only world. So yeah. there's Joel, Sonny, and Aki Kind of those were almost kind of yeah, those were by the way no Kelly on tour right right although no with Joel's Kelly was Kelly on tour with Joel's yeah but in the back half of his career um, you make a good point though the first five years look after year three you're comfortable with every spot your judges are still seeing it's, you as fresh it's more of how the judges interpret you yeah you know like if you look at some of the waves that Gabe got even through the pipe masters that he got eight point rides on. They would have been ten point rides for anybody else. They would have been in a, in a wave where Gabe gets barreled, comes out, does a massive air. If Joan Deru got that wave, it would have been a ten. If Jeremy Flores would have got that wave, it would have been a ten. But because it's Gabe and we expect greatness from Gabe, it's an eight point ride. So Felipe might suffer from the fact that we've seen the double alley oops at J Bay. 
We've seen him get the multiple tens at snapper. It's kind of like, well, now if you don't up that game, you're, you're we're grading you on a curve. And mm-hmm. it's going to be that much harder for him to win a world title every year that he's on tour now. And that's, I think, what Julian Wilson is kind of suffering from as well. So there's something newer, better, hotter, sexier coming each year. And right now it's Idolo. You huh. know, like we saw him win two last year. It's like, oh, sweet. This year, what's he going to do with these other spots that he didn't really succeed at last year? So, Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, Scott. All right. Well, it's kind of a short show today. What else do you got for us? Cause- well, I think you got to get to your next session. And, uh, <laughs> this was a Pipe Masters focus show. Right. Um, what are we missing from our pipe? Well, I'm... This might be. This is going to be the last time I see you before Christmas. So, uh, wishing you all the best for Christmas. Let's do a, a show before the new year, though. Yes, Post absolutely. Christmas. Well, no, absolutely. Post Christmas, pre two thousand nineteen. Yes, we can set predictions, resolutions. Yes, all of that. So uh, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show is coming up May fourth and fifth, presented by U.S. Blanks at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. And it's going to be an incredible 35,000 square foot building filled with surfboards. And there's going to be great deals on boards and gear. You're going to want to get down there and meet the people that build your boards and get a great deal on a new surfboard, new wetsuit, new fins, um, new racks, whatever it is that you might need. Um, Get close to the surf industry at the boardroom. There you go. Everybody under one roof. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, and then also we should mention, I'll publish this episode today. That gives listeners two days to try to win that Spy Optic gift card for 500 bucks. Oh, cool. Just in time for the holidays. Pretty well, ridiculous. I, I have the Ryan Sakel Boardroom Podcast ready for you right now too, by the way. Like okay. it's ready to send. Okay. Can you get that up today? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> actually. you on the spot. Actually, no, probably not because I've got to be in the car for most of the day. What are you going to ask the guys at Switchfoot? Oh, dude, I've got a whole list of things. Did you just turn it off? No. No, we're still Okay, because I surfed with those guys the other day. They surf good, huh? Tell, tell John for a guy who does stand-up paddling, he's a pretty good shortboarder. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him get a sick barrel. You also do stand-up paddling or have in the past. Yeah. So you can't criticize him. No, I'm just teasing him. I don't, um, I don't care. You saw him get a good barrel, though? Yeah. Yeah, him and I don't know. might have been other guys in the band, but I know John. John's a regular foot. Oh, really? Tim's the Goofy. Oh, okay. Then it was Tim. It was the Goofy. They look alike. Yeah, they, they're brothers, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was um, Tim, then. They saw him get a sick backside barrel. They both surf really well. Yeah. Um, it's rad to see. Yeah, so that's cool. I, you want to know what I'm going to ask him? I'm going to ask him why we picked the worst possible day to record. Yeah. Where the waves are pumping. Yeah. Ask him what it was like to have Rob Machado as a soccer coach, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> Ask them about their morality. Those guys seem like they're on the straight and narrow and well, maintain a really positive, they're, optimistic outlook yes, on life. But absolutely. they're living a rock star world. Like every sort of vice and temptation is available at their fingertips. That's a good question. How have those guys you know, maintained their, their such a Their father's a pastor. Well, that's what I was going to ask them. Yeah. So yeah, they've got sense. a great faith-based background, which is cool. How do you maintain that? I mean, like, honestly, really, really remarkable willpower and... Um, conviction from those guys guys yeah that's what so. uh, what do they call that i forget i don't know i'm tired all right scott tired from surfing yeah Beat. get after it again. okay until next time adios and aloha He's gone.
Singing, it must be crazy. 